0: Watchers, Watchers in the Fourth, in the fourth Dimension
1: Preaching doors, thunder and lightning, monsters, and all the things that go bumpity, bumpity in the night They are
0: flesh eaters
1: Probably vampires if you ask me
0: Hello and welcome back to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension I'm Anthony I'm Don I'm Julie And I'm Riley Understand?
2: Of course I understand, my dear fellow. Don't fuss so. I am to infiltrate and kill.
0: This episode, we are discussing the return of the Daleks in The Chase. Looking behind the scenes here, Terry Nation returns to write this one. He had actually initially been commissioned to write a six-part story to end the season, and he wasn't planning on using the Daleks. However, Dalek mania by this stage was in full swing following the Dalek invasion of Earth, and it was requested that the Daleks be featured here. Nation was actually starting to resent having to use the Daleks all the time, and his scripts started looking like shopping lists of cool ideas featuring the Daleks. Several of these ideas didn't make it into this story, and we will actually see some of those reused next season. Further, the decision was eventually made to have this as the penultimate season of the story, rather than capping off the season. As with the Zabi in The Web Planet, the BBC were desperate for another monster to replicate the success of the Daleks, and the mechanoids in the final two episodes are the latest attempt at that. For this story in the director's chair, we have the return of Richard Martin for his fifth and final contribution to the show. Thank God. For the music, composer Dudley Simpson returns for his third contribution. We will be seeing a lot more of him over the next 15 years, so lucky us. And in the designer's seat, we are lucky enough to have both John Wood and Raymond Cusick returning to the show. John Wood had previously worked with Richard Martin on the Web Planet, and Ray Cusick has been with us virtually since the beginning, having been the original designer of the Daleks. They will both return as designers for for their final outings in season three of the show. This story is also notable for being Dennis Spooner's final outing as story editor, although he will actually be back next time around as writer. This time, the short summary is in the very capable hands of Julie. Over to you.
1: Poor Vicky feels useless on the TARDIS as the Doctor fixes the time television, Ian reads a classic, and Barbara makes a dress. Team TARDIS proves themselves to be not original when watching historical events. Meanwhile, the Daleks find them and obviously try to come up with synonyms for exterminate with varied success. And, per usual, the TARDIS team splits up. Ian and Vicky meet tentacle beasts that want to eat them, while the Doctor and Barbara meet fish-out-of-water who sell them out to the Daleks. Eventually, they get back together and escape the Daleks, but wait, they are being followed! After terrorizing the guy from Alabama on the Empire State Building and the crewmen on the Mary Celeste, they arrive at a haunted house. After meeting up with Frankenstein, Dracula, and other Halloween favorites, the TARDIS crew fare better than the Daleks and escape with no casualties. Vicky ends up on the Dalek ship and witnesses the true horror, a robot doctor! The doctor's machine to kill the Daleks is ready, so they hide it in a cave. They hide in a cave, they find Vicky, who lets them know about the robot doctor. After Ian almost kills the real doctor by bludgeoning by rock, they escape with yet another robot. While in prison, they meet Jungle Jim-making Steven, who has a teddy bear mascot. They escape by climbing down a cable over 1,000 feet. I'm with Vicky on this one, and I would be terrified. Steven gets (laughs) separated from everyone, and the Daleks are destroyed by other robots. Ian and Babs take the Dalek ship to 1965 and take the cutest engagement photos, and now the doctor is dead. (laughs) Thank
3: you, Julie. So I learned two very important things during this serial. Number one, Terry Nation gets paid by the number of locations used. And Dudley Simpson has a hot little jazz combo he plays with on the weekends. That he wants you to hear all about at random points during the story.
2: Oh, man, that tune was awesome, though. I mean, it's uh,
0: out, out of way, place as a, as a way to
3: open an episode. It's
2: great.
0: So out of place. At some times it works, and at others it just doesn't. We start with a direct cliffhanger from the previous episode, which is something I really enjoy. You know, it's it's not something we necessarily see that much on past the Hartnell era. Seen a couple of times in the Whittaker era now. But in general, it's really a relic of this time, and I adore it. So we've got the reprise of the Daleks coming after the TARDIS crew, but they don't know it yet. I think with this episode, we're really left with something that's really just designed to set the scene. Oh, absolutely. But we get a nice get...
3: montage of them watching great moments in history when Johnny Cash freed the slaves, an old episode of Blackadder. <laughs> what was it, Herman Hermits, Something like that on the TV. <laughs> so, a lot of
0: good things it might have been on there. I thought it was oh, Jerry man. and the Pacemakers. <laughs> also a
3: possibility. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I I must say, getting the Beatles, which for the listeners at home, the American releases of this story omit the scene with the Beatles. And I was able to make sure that everyone was able to see the uncut version of this episode with the Beatles.
1: But let's be honest, it's not the Beatles that we're missing. We are missing Ian's dance to the Beatles. Ian
0: rocking
3: out was a high point.
0: (laughs) 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 I mean, what would this story be without that? awkwardly cut and the shirt. at the
3: beginning, let me tell you, because I watched the regular <laughs>
0: version too, and I'm like, well, that just doesn't work at all. Funny little thing about that scene was the original intent was to have the Beatles aged up and actually come in and, and act in the story and have them be at their 50th anniversary concert in 2013. Oh! And their manager said no. So the BBC found some footage of them from Top of the Pops and put it in instead. I thought that would have been kind of
1: cool. It would have been cool, but it would have been sad.
0: And it would have been hilarious to see how bad the aging makeup would have looked. And also, since we're talking about this in 2019, horrendously anachronistic. I would love to know what 1990s grunge Beatles would have sounded like. (laughs) But I, I really love these few scenes of looking back through history, including what at the time was extremely recent history. The Shakespeare scene in particular, I thought was hilarious because you get the the courtesan, or not the courtesan, the um the, the member of court who comes up to him and says have you thought about writing about hamlet prince of denmark and then you think about shakespeare's portrayal as borrowing ideas in the shakespeare code in in revived doc two or even in good omens and this is the same thing but 40 50 years earlier than when we're seeing it now it's it's fantastic i love it
1: i feel like that's a more common thing actually cuz i've It's been all over the place, and I don't think it was that recent of an idea that Shakespeare stole from people. That's fair. I was just a little sad that it wasn't as original as I wanted it to be. I felt like I could have used some obscure things that Barbara could have pulled out of her hat, being the history person.
0: One question I have for for you guys, given that the three of you are Americans and I'm not, how was Lincoln's accent? I mean, my my immediate reaction was this doesn't suck.
2: It's not the worst accent for an American in this entire serial, I'll tell you that.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, and also you have to think about it is accents would have been a little bit different then in general.
0: Right. Okay, fair enough.
2: Well, all of you seem to enjoy the time television. My favorite part of this first few scenes was the, sorry to make a Beatles pun, uh, kind of a day in the life of the TARDIS crew doctor fiddling with a new gadget in reading a sci-fi monster book which it had a little nice little cute end joke on the show about how he makes a comment about how the monsters in there are so i think unbelievable or ridiculous it's kind of I feel like the show is maybe a self making a self-reflexive joke and then barb was trying to make something for vicky it was all kind of like like oh so this is you know when they're not you know being chased around or you know in peril this is what they're like day-to-day is like And i kind of like that kind of window there
0: And I I feel like these early scenes provide a lot of commentary on the TARDIS itself. So Vicky annoys everyone and talks about how she's redundant around here. And I know maybe I'm reading too much in it, but, you know, I don't think it's any coincidence that after this story, the TARDIS crew has slimmed down. And I'm wondering if that's a commentary on the fact that the TARDIS might be a little overcrowded. And then when the Doctor's talking about what he's doing in fixing the Time TV or the Time Space Visualizer, Ian kind of calls him out on his techno babble, and Vicky is the one who acts as the interpreter. And I'm just wondering if this is a lot of very kind of meta commentary on the show itself. Again, I might be reading too much into this here. Yeah, you are. Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, guys. So we have those wonderful scenes. And... Then we actually land on a very arid planet that turns out to be Aridius. So yay for explanatory planet titles. It's a,
1: you know, desert planet that has two suns. And oh, okay. That sounds oddly familiar.
0: Yeah. There's some really nice callbacks here. So Ian makes a comment at some point of, hey, at least it's not a pool of acid. (laughs) It's one of those things where I know that this is a very self-referential episode, and I'm really enjoying it. So we get the TARDIS crew splitting up and going off exploring, because that's always a good idea. Vicky and Ian seem to have the best time while the Doctor and Barbara sunbathe.
1: Which is the better time.
0: One one thing I want to touch on here is the the Dalek scene on the Time-Space Visualizer. (laughs) So previously, when we've seen the Daleks... They've not quite been what we're used to seeing them in terms of design. So in the first episode, they were they were completely missing those slats around the middle. The second episode, or the or the Daleks' invasion of Earth, we see they have like a little disc on their back, which was meant to be how they were drawing power, so as not to be reliant on static electricity. This is the first story where we see those slats around the mid the midriff. It's at this point that the Dalek design is complete, so they don't really change between the chase and their reappearance in 2005 in Dalek, aside from occasional changes in colour. This is the first time we see that kind of classic Dalek design. It's their third outing. They are complete.
1: Yeah, I was less about what they were looking like and how they were behaving In Classic Who, they're more verbose than they are in New Who. It seems like they just have, you know, speak a lot more sentences, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, again, kind of what I hinted at in the summary is just that, oh, instead of saying exterminate, let's say annihilate or other words that mean kill them.
2: They also seem a bit more excitable (laughs) than usual. I don't know if anyone else felt that way. No, they're
3: always pretty (laughs) excitable. They're like kids
0: throwing a temper
3: tantrum most
0: of the time. I think the 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 biggest thing here is they're very repetitive. So there's again on that scene on the time space visualizer, they're chanting "Tardis, Tardis, Tardis, Tardis." Yeah,
2: all in different, yeah, all in different like you know highs and lows. I thought that was
0: annihilate, annihilate.
1: So the other thing is is at the very beginning, uh, it did open with that you know '60s very obvious jazzy type type music there. I was like, oh yeah, that's pretty good. And then by the end of this episode, I was just like, I'm not sold on this. It's like, it's almost there, but there's just something off about it.
3: It does seem very out of place. Yeah. Whenever it pops up, it's it's like, okay, that's a little, a little awkward and weird.
2: Especially doesn't really work very well towards the end when we are dealing with some serious developments for our characters. Compared to the beginning when they're bouncing all around and... Oh, man, we're here on the top of the Empire Cypeline. Oh, we're over here. Mary Celeste, we're over here. And it's just, I can kind of dig it because it kind of gives it kind of like, it's a wacky, we're going all over the place. Who knows what's happening? And this is kind of a fun caper kind of sound. But doesn't really, you're you're right. Towards the end is where I didn't feel like the music worked.
1: We end this. The Dalek coming up from the sand at the very end after the sandstorm has settled and everything. He's making a real weird noise.
3: He had the effort. That was difficult for that Dalek. He had...
0: <laughs> I mean, I I feel like in this in this story, I'm not sure whether it's Terry Nation or whether it's Richard Martin, but they are making the Daleks into a bit of a joke, which I don't dislike, but it's very obvious at times in this story, and this is one of those There's, times. Absolutely. There's a lot of comedy beats. I can almost understand why,
3: because this is where... The Daleks really become the Daleks as far as suddenly having time travel and the doctor is their greatest enemy, whereas before they were just jerks that had survived the nuclear war and they had to bring them back because they were successful. And now they're finding reasons to keep bringing
0: them back. Sort of getting further and further away from that beginning. Exactly. As the cliffhanger leads us into episode two, The Death of Time, which we already talked about how the repeated musical cue is inappropriate at times. And I really felt that the reprise of the cliffhanger in this episode was the worst incident of that, (laughs) where you've got the Dalek digging himself out and grunting, and then Dudley Simpson's little jazz reprise over it. That really just (laughs) doesn't work for me.
3: There wasn't really much of a need for it because, A, it wasn't a good cliffhanger because we already know the Daleks are involved. If they hadn't showed them at the end of the previous story and repeated the same thing earlier on within the same episode, it would have made a nice reveal echoing the
0: Dalek invasion of Earth. But we already know they're there. The aim was to echo it, but I also think there was a level of discontent over the Dalek invasion of Earth. The Daleks had been announced as coming back, but you don't get them until the end of the episode. Whereas here, there's enough of them, but then they want to mirror that cliffhanger, and it just doesn't work because you already know they're around. It's kind of a mess.
1: One of the things I found interesting is that little device that the Dalek had to, what was it, detect
0: movement? Oh, the seismic detector, I think they called it.
1: I'm like, I don't think that's accurate in any way. It would never actually work, but I like the design of it.
0: You kind of look at 60s Star Trek and the science is pretty sketchy at times. And I think that's the case here. I, I almost wonder whether the general public were, whether they cared... Less of whether they were slightly more ignorant of techno babble, and they could just get away with this kind of crap more often.
3: Yeah, it's standard plot device science, right? Whereas today they wouldn't even bother; they would just get on with it.
0: Yeah. So the
2: Mer people, huh? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> those Mer people, and
0: their and their beasts. I actually thought that the costumes of the Iridians were quite good
1: yeah it's a it's a good costume now the fact that they were still I, I felt like because it had turned into a desert planet they would have evolved a little bit or more than they had at died this...
3: something to that effect <laughs> i thought they looked like they were addressed for an you know an alt universe musical called fish
2: but... <laughs> you know looking over the structure of the six episodes for the serial it really does give a sense that, you know, we have our first episode, our second episode, and then you feel like you're settling in for, like, oh, okay, so I know what we're doing. All right, so here's the Mur people, and they're, you know, going to be kind of strong armed into having to give up their TARDIS crew. And the doctor is either going to, like, there's going to be a split amongst the Mur people. Some of them are going to, you know, and there's, it's going to be like a series, a serial just about that. And then it's almost like Terry Nation's like, screw that. We're going to New York. We're going to go to a haunted house. We're going to go anywhere else. It just seems like we're following. Yeah, it's like we're following a pattern. And then all of a sudden it's like, no, 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 this has been done before. We're going we're going completely out there. It feels like why even bother with maybe it's to like fool the audience into thinking we're going to settle in with these mer people on this planet only to like just jettison them and completely go in another direction. It's almost
3: like Web Planet Two, fish planet or whatever. And then it's just like, yeah, nope.
0: (laughs) So it's funny you should mention that, Don, because when you look at the Iridians, and I don't know if anyone else picked up on this, but they have these weird hand movements and the cadence of their voices is a little weird. And I was just sitting there thinking, okay, Richard Martin strikes again. (laughs) I mean, you can tell it's the same director. And I was just like, oh, God, really? Glad this is the last time they hire him. Despite all of this, there's some really good comedy in this episode, too. Like, early, slightly earlier on, you have those scenes with Vicky and Ian where they're running back and forth, being trapped by what, at the time, just looked like tentacle monsters, and you eventually find out they're called the Maya Beasts. Testicles with tentacles. what they look like. <laughs> But that, like how they're just like, what are you doing, you nit? Keep moving. It's, their back and forth is fantastic. There's one part of that where Ian
3: throws a rock at a Meyer Beast for no reason. All they had to do <laughs> was run, and he stops to pick it up and, and just mess with it.
2: That's because he knew it was his last serial, and he wanted to punish that uh, guy in the costume. He must have hated him on set. He was trying to commit a
0: final murder. Yeah, he did his best.
1: <laughs> and rocks are like the 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 best weapon. The doctor wants to use a rock. Ian wants to use a rock like multiple times this serial. So rocks is where it's at.
3: No guns, only rocks. <laughs> <clears throat>
1: While there are some comedy moments, I I also seem that some of the crew just seemed a little off. Barbara was a lot more high strung than she's been in in the past. Like, I don't know. She just seemed a little off.
2: Particularly in the second episode or when we're, she's more involved with being chased by the Daleks. Because I'm wondering if it's kind of a callback. Because, I mean, you know, we always think of Susan being the one that, like, is screaming and such back in the day. But if we remember, it was Barbara that had the iconic scream close up with the first Dalek.
0: I mean, I don't think that's necessarily unrealistic, given that it's the same scriptwriter. If
3: they were really trying to close the circle, this would have ended with them against cavemen again. (laughs) (laughs) But since no one really seems to remember that, they did meet the Daleks in their most interesting adventure, and so it's neat that they have them close out the same way.
0: And of course, everyone at this point knows we've got a Dalek movie on the way. It's, that's been announced. That's public knowledge. So it's, I mean, the Daleks are the most iconic monster. So while they might, might not have been in the first story, they're what everyone associates with the show. So yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a reason Zar has never returned, but the Daleks are still coming back in, in 2019. Bring back the Vord. <laughs> uh, yes, please. Speaking of the Daleks, We're still getting them played for comedy here. As they're on the spaceship, there's the one who just agrees to everything and is kind of a little bit slow. Yep. And that's just my favorite thing ever. I wish we had a slow Dalek more often. Please bring back the stupid Dalek (laughs) next year.
1: You know, when we get closer to the end of the episode, those tricks shouldn't have worked on the Dalek, but they did, and it was wonderful.
0: Oh my gosh, that entire scene where the Doctor and Ian are calling out to the Daleks to try and get it to fall into their trap well, is magnificent.
1: First off, Ian is continuously getting Barbara out of her cardigan, you know, and <laughs> then and then he decides, you know what, I want the Doctor to strip as well, so Doctor, I need your coat too.
0: I just love how Barbara's reaction to, hey, give me your cardigan is, oh, not again. <laughs> Oh, she's just magnificent. And then the Doctor and Ian, when they're trying to trap it, they call him Fred. They call him (laughs) Archie. I'm not sure what the Dalek's name actually is, but, I mean, Fred and or Archie. I think that's my favourite thing ever. So, aside from that, I mean, in the run-up to that, we have the Iridians just being utterly useless. They are literally the worst aliens on the entire show. They act helpless because they are a bunch of wet blankets. Which is true.
2: That is accurate. Which
0: is oh, true. I
1: see what you did there.
0: I mean, I, I think they were just in there to add some plot. There, there was no actual intent to flesh them out. And so they're stupid. They're initially like, yes, we'll protect you. And then they're like, oh, no, no, we, we need to give you to the Daleks or they will kill us. Well, they already killed two of you who helped them. So they're going to kill you. Any... Oh... Uh, uh, uh. I'm going on a rant here and I don't care. This just annoys me so much. This is so dumb.
3: They they ultimately don't matter. They're just there to inconvenience yeah. the crew. Kind of like the next episode doesn't really matter.
0: Oh, uh, it, it this doesn't. could have been,
3: <laughs> and probably should have been a montage. It also should have been titled,
0: With Apologies to Alabama. <laughs> So the so the we we get a cliffhanger uh, at the end of episode two, just to round up our discussion, where the TARDIS crew escape and the Daleks vow to take chase through time and space, and that leads us into episode three, Flight Through Eternity. Felt like I needed to say that, epically,
3: but it's not an epic no? episode. It's no, but I'm gonna put my foot down. This does not need much discussion. It's a little comedy sketch. <laughs> With a stereotypical <laughs> Alabama That goes on way too long
1: Yep
0: And But with a cowboy hat Played by the same guy Who will play future companion In three episodes time Steven Yes Steven
3: <laughs> And then some nonsense aboard the Mary Celeste Yeah oh. it's,
2: it's almost like two big Like joke sketches Sketches basically it's, That's basically what it is I honestly think that The Alabama accent is not, is bad, but not nearly as bad as the New York accent as the tour, of the tour guide.
0: I am poisonly really offended possibly. by this comment. Oh. <laughs> you mean, are... mean Colombo? A <laughs> couple of things about this episode. Firstly, I love how it starts off with the Dalek saying, I, with the Doctor even saying, I don't think we'll see them again. Well, that ended well. Behind the scenes, never on screen, but the Dalek time machine was referred to as the Dardis. <laughs> <laughs> We get more of the slow Dalek, who ums and ahs as it's figuring out the time lag between the two. Um, Love that. Uh, 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 um, yeah. I mean, for the most part, Don, I completely agree with you. There's not a lot here. This is 100% yeah. filler. This is Terry Nation's shopping list.
3: I'm not saying I didn't enjoy it, which I, I really <laughs> liked this cereal. This <laughs> and even though I can go, well, that's dumb and that's dumb, I always had a good time. This should have been like a, a three minute montage of them hitting various locations and being followed by the Daleks.
1: I think my favorite part was Vicky on the Mary Celeste when she was saving Barbara and she hits the guy over the head. I'm like, yeah, go Vicky, go, Vicky, go. And then yeah. she hits Ian. Rooting for I mean, it happens. it's, it's you know, fine. You could
3: use your little jazz tune and just cut that together real quick and hit a few other locations and Boom,
0: you're done. Yeah. The other thing here is before Vicky coshes Ian, when Barbara is encountering the sailor, I think this is the last time someone awkwardly sexually harasses Barbara. That is correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Always has to be Barbara. I have to agree with Don on this. I th- I mean, obviously, I don't think they'd have the time nor the budget to do it. But I was just thinking about how much more enjoyable this would have been if it was kind of like a Benny Hill kind of montage, where like, and how about this? Not only do they go to the Empire State Building and the Mary Celeste, but how about we just have them run through all the historical locations they've already been on, Barbara and Ian have already been on in the show, and just have the Daleks like chasing after them with yackety sax play.
3: There you go. I and
2: mean, they <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just do that for like five minutes. Obviously, like that amount of set changes would have been really expensive. But I mean, that kind of gets to the point and, you know, doesn't draw out a Alabama, this is Hollywood joke for about three minutes too long.
0: I do feel like the entire Mary Celeste scene is kind of a misfire. It is yeah. incredibly so, yes. Yes, it's played for laughs and then they all commit mass suicide at the end. <laughs>
3: Now, <laughs> All right, now it's I really agree fine. with you completely <laughs> but at the same time I like this way of interacting with historical events where it turns out that they were actually the cause of it so it still fits the historical timeline but you now
0: have the reason. I just think tonally it, I mean we, we, we saw that in the Romans right? Tonally it, it's just, it just feels so off
2: Wasn't one of the people that jumped off the boat a woman with her baby?
1: Yes, it was the captain's wife. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Against comedy. <laughs> yeah. After all this incredibly misplaced, I, I, I'm not even sure what to call it. Drama? Bullshit? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we're back in the TARDIS and the Daleks are closing in. Clashes, crash zoom into the Doctor's contraption that may or may not stop them, and we're at the cliffhanger. Into yes. episode four. Journey into terror!
1: Honestly, this is the best episode. <laughs> it
0: this, is. Yes. It's
2: awesome.
1: It's amazing.
2: It's it's so wonderful and even the little little twist at oh, the end was enjoyable. I knew the twist was coming. I mean, it's just great.
3: I think I mean, it was one of those things because it was like, okay, well, obviously that's what's going to happen. And yet I loved every second, even where they were all acting scared. I'm like, you guys deal with much worse every day but there's bats and you're freaking out
2: there is there's so many little bits of this episode that i can point to that i absolutely adore uh one of them in particular is what really cracked me up cracked me up was when the doctor and ian uh make it down to the laboratory and frankenstein's monster you know is laying on the slab and then once it rises up no no delay no nothing <laughs> the
0: doctor just like leaves <laughs> right next, he's like nope i'm out of here see you later <laughs> two things firstly i think in terms of what they're afraid of they're so used to dealing with like the extremely weird what is more traditionally frightening to humans seems more frightening because we're used to the Daleks. We've met them three times. We've never met Dracula. We've never met Frankenstein's monster. And and now we've seen Frankenstein's yeah. monster
3: fight a Dalek and I can die right. a happy man. So that's an important <laughs> yeah. thing.
0: Speaking of the Daleks in this, this episode for me is another example of why Richard Martin is absolutely terrible as a director. If you are particularly eagle-eyed, you will see a Dalek on the set before the Daleks have even arrived.
2: No, I didn't. But I did notice. I think it was either this episode or the next episode. There was a pretty like camera hit by uh,
3: one of the actors. That Dalek like, forgot his keys. Yeah. And had to travel back through time to
0: where <laughs> he left them. <laughs> this has been fan wank with Don. Thank you. <laughs> I hate to name names, but Richard Martin was the worst director we've had to this point.
3: Yeah, I I still loved this though. Although oh, it's, it's Dracula awesome. was rubbish. Those teeth were terrible. <laughs> those were those were like chiclets.
0: <laughs> I am Count Dracula. Uh, ah yeah. ah uh, ah uh. ah. Uh. The gray lady
3: was was amazing. And watching yeah, this, I kept
0: thinking about what would happen if they had landed in, say, Netherworld. So the gray lady, just as as background, was uh, played by Rosalind de Winter, who had was previously I forget whether she was one of the Zabi or the Monoptera in the web planet, and the person who was credited for insect movement in that story. So again, Richard Martin's uh, looking after his people. She gave it her all.
1: What I just found interesting is like I was sitting there watching this, and I was like, "Were haunted houses like a thing?" And yes, they were. They weren't super popular but they became popular by the 70s so like how have they never heard of a haunted house well
3: this story does take place in the far off distant future of 1998 and yeah the the haunted house as far as an attraction goes they've been doing that since late 60s early 70s especially by the jc's here in america first haunted
1: house was in
2: 1915 did anyone dig the kind of uh Scooby-Doo music that was used in this episode. when they're snooping around. Oh, that was enjoyable.
3: You had the uh, fireplace with the big googly eyes.
1: Again, it works in the the more comedic and, you know, kind of wacky than it does in, you know, a desert planet where people are useless. (laughs) So, you know.
2: When I was watching this, when I was watching this episode, the one thing. But I mean, thinking about, you know, having the Beatles in episode one, all I could think of was like, oh,
0: man, only they had a Christopher Lee cameo for Dracula in this. Gosh. That would have been so... With this, I mean, you see those opening shots of the haunted house, and then you later meet Dracula, you meet Frankenstein's monster. And to me, I was just like, so this is very clearly drawing on Hammer, which is still producing movies at this time, as well as those 30s, 40s, 50s, Universal movies. Yeah.
1: I think my favorite line through all of this though was uh, uh, Ian was like, "My sense of adventure had a slow and painful death
3: when the bats came bats. out." <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was like, "Ian, it's it's only bats. Ah. I don't understand."
3: Because it it takes place in uh. the mind. It's a trapped in the human psyche. <sighs>
0: I love how the Doctor is just shown to be completely wrong on that. But, yeah, I mean, I I think this episode is just brilliant. I mean, this is very clear as the first episode of this serial that all four of us really enjoyed. And then eventually you get the confrontation with the Daleks, which is even more wonderful, because you see Frankenstein's monster throwing a Dalek that's just claimed to be invincible.
3: Yes!
0: But the Daleks know they're on Earth, so at least they have superior working equipment. Or they know
3: how to use it. Well, I believe in this serial, the Doctor actually says, specifically says, when he built it, meaning the TARDIS.
1: Yes.
0: Yeah, Yeah. he, he mentions uh, this piece has been in the TARDIS since I yep. built it. And there's, I know some fans have claimed, well, he just built that instrument. And yeah. No, th- it's definitely hinting that the Doctor built yeah. the TARDIS, but again... We're early in the show,
1: so after our our fun little, you know, watching a few Daleks die by you know monsters in a haunted house, we find that Vicky isn't on the TARDIS, which is terrifying and really sad.
0: I think that's so weird, given the I I think the comment we've had ever since the rescue is how the Doctor has a better relationship with Vicky than he did with his own granddaughter, and he doesn't notice that they left her behind. Yeah.
3: Yeah, but we get that absolutely perfect robot replica of the Doctor. Oh my gosh. <laughs>
0: oh, it's cringeworthy, isn't it?
3: It's not that bad. It's just they're doing these these long shots. I'm like, that guy's taller and is wearing some sort of weird face mask. <laughs> <laughs>
0: When I first saw this story, I probably it probably would have been around 95, 96. So I, I probably would have been eight, nine years old. And so as a child, I didn't notice that in long shot it didn't look like him. But watching it now on a much larger TV, it's painfully obvious that it's a different actor. Where you have him opening his mouth and they've clearly oh. dubbed Hartnell's voice over. <laughs> it's just so... <laughs> Awkward and
1: bad. I know when they, you know, they get to the episode where they actually confront, it would be, you know, they can't do what they do now, where they, um, you know, get the body double and then, you know, shoot both scenes and all that kind of jazz. I know they couldn't do that. At least for this, couldn't they have, you know, in this scene when the real Doctor isn't there, they could have just used William Hartnell?
0: And they do in the close-ups. Yeah. That's what's so weird about this. Yeah, Why use the double when the Doctor's not in there? That? That's what I don't understand.
1: Yeah, and I just don't know if they wanted it for consistency so that, you know...
0: For the yeah. fight scene?
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. that's all I could think of. That's the only way, is that they, they disrupted and made a really bad long shot at the beginning in order just to make it look
0: less painful later. Well, I also think, you know, if we if if we take Friend of the Podcast Louis Robinson's point, this would have been seen by most people on like a ten inch TV, as opposed to the yeah. fifty something inch we're watching I'm now. I'm sure
3: it played better back in the day.
0: I mean, for me, this certainly worked a lot better on a smaller screen, unrestored, and on VHS.
3: Pro tip. Run, rub Vaseline over your screen before watching anything. <laughs>
0: We are, not, we are not liable for any damage caused to your TV. Should you do this?
3: So we're on yet another web planet-esque place, except this is
0: planet of fungi, mostly. As we are in episode five, the death of Doctor Who. I to say, I actually thought the living fungoids were pretty cool as a concept.
1: They're pretty cool as a concept. Black and white helped it hide <laughs> from what it could have been. Because I'm imagining it was, like, bright colors for some reason. And, like, some weird psychedelic, like, trip that you'd be on fitting. And it also kind of would tie in with the bright light, bright light, bright light that they seem (laughs) to have when there's lights.
2: It's Excellent Mogwai impression. Excellent.
1: Thank
0: you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That was very good. Is that done? Yes. All right. (laughs) I was going to say, this was the first episode where I felt like Dudley Simpson's score actually works. (laughs) It's only taking them five episodes to get there, but it finally works.
3: I like the design of the fungoids, and I really enjoyed the way the sets were built with the paintings to try to give an illusion of depth.
0: Yeah. yeah, and that only doesn't work when I think it's Steven in the next episode bumps up against one, and it just kind of wobbles. Yeah, just a yeah. Bit. But until that point, it works really well. Yeah,
3: it's pretty cool. I mean, there's it's pretty much your standard episode of them getting to a place, and the the fight with the robot doctor was pretty cool. I liked how they figured out who was who, although you know we could usually tell <laughs> by
2: but, but no, but yeah. how could you tell? Because at the moment the thing that tells them, like the the robot double specifically says destroy it with a rock, which I mean, as far as we know from the very beginning, that's 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 a calling card. That's, you know, that's usually his coup de gras.
0: <laughs> but that's that's Barbara who realizes that. And that's precisely because as characters in the last two seasons they've come so far. I think that's a very deliberate callback.
1: Well, it was that, and then it was the, when he called Vicky Susan,
0: was the tipping point. Oh, I missed that. What,
3: you missed that? Oh, that was a, a big point. He called Vicky Susan. That's what let Barbara realize, if you'll pardon the the extremely bad pun, who was who, and then he knew. So over <laughs>
0: the last 25 years, um, I have missed that. Like, the, <laughs> I must have seen this story, like. 20 to 30 times and I've never noticed yes. that so thank you I'm going to have to rewatch this now
1: I was sitting there watching it and I was like oh boy oh boy that is not Susan Susan is not blonde <laughs>
2: yeah that was now has got to brush up that on their research the
1: yeah
0: well wow, you guys have made me realize something new so thank you
1: and so they defeat Robot Doctor and you know I find it really interesting that when they're hiding back in the cave for the Daleks to come, and Ian is taking watch, and he falls asleep while on watch. I'm like, Ian, buddy, I thought you were in the military. It wasn't very good. I feel like you should have (laughs) (laughs) a little bit more, you know, of an understanding of how important it is to be on
0: watch. He's tired. They've been on the run for a long time. Give the man a break. He needs a nap, yo. Uh,
3: Did anyone else find it hilarious and useless where the doctor tries to convince the doctors? That wait did i say that wrong the doctor tries to convince the daleks (laughs) that he is the robot yes and it
0: just fails completely he he lost like five seconds
3: i'm trying i I was trying
2: to figure it out because like when it happened i'm like are we trying to go for drama here and then when it cuts so short i'm like okay so that was a comedic beat i i couldn't i couldn't tell where they were where they were going with
0: that i hate to sound like a broken record but richard martin yeah but I mean, I kind of loved that he went out there while everyone else was still discussing whether or not it was a good idea for him to do it.
3: Also, is anyone else wondering like, if if yeah. Richard Martin used to beat Anthony up and take his lunch money?
0: Because this is sounding personal. <laughs> <laughs> it
1: really is.
0: I on, I honestly, at this point, think he. You know, we're we're one story away from the end of season two, and I think he's the worst I do, director. I just we've picture had on you shaking so your cousin
3: going, "Richard Martin, I'll get you." <laughs>
0: To to be fair, I'm not the only one who feels this way. I think Rob Shearman and Toby Haydoke feel the same way, just in case anyone was wondering. Uh,
3: So he's your personal Kyle Spade. Gotcha. Exactly. We get another great monster that I'm sure is going to come back
0: again and again in the mechanoids. (laughs) I mean, you've heard of Big Finish, right? All right, so we, we, we meet our first mechanoid who speaks very coherently, and that brings us into episode six, The Planet of Decision.
1: For the most boring elevator ride ever. <laughs> I,
0: I do love how when they enter that elevator, or lift, as my people would say, they're really pushed up against the wall because the mechanoid is so goddamn <laughs> chunky. It's,
3: it's, it's large. That's a it's chunky really, boy. A chunky boy.
1: I like it. It's completely bizarre and not useful at all, and really would be a terrible design as a robot. But still, like it. You've
3: <laughs> got to design your doors around the size of this thing, and it doesn't have <laughs> arms, and it only has those little pinchers in the front. Did you? Yeah.
1: Did you see the two in the hallway that like had to like move and you know navigate around each other? Yeah,
3: yeah. And I, I personally loved. <laughs> The, the mechanoid voice I don't know why, it just made me happy I, I realize I'm alone in this and I'm okay with that No,
2: I, I mean, I thought it was good too I, I just was cracking up about how, especially during the fight scene, I could not get my head around how much they look like Christmas ornaments I thought they <laughs> looked
0: like
3: 20-sided dice
0: <laughs> I, I think it's, it's very 60s in the design, you know, so it's all very very angular, and that's something this story does a lot i mean you think back to we d- we didn't talk about it early, when you think back to the dalek's time machine it has like the kind of austin power style psychedelic swirl that <laughs>
3: yeah, spins around yeah that was great
0: the design in this is just like so mid-60s and i think to me those kind of angular pieces of the mechanoids really reflect that i, I don't necessarily think it's good but i think it's definitely a, a- Product of his time.
1: And then can we talk about our introduction to the, you know, who's gonna take over as the manly man?
2: Oh yes. The manly man with a stuffy.
3: <laughs> hi
1: fi. Call it a stuffy. Oddly, wasn't named
2: by <laughs> Vicky,
3: but there it is.
2: Yeah, hi Fi the Mascot. Hi Fi. Hi Fi The five. Mascot. No, a
3: high five, high five. like your like stereo.
1: Oh, uh, and it's a cute little panda, and I love the fact that he has a little mascot. I think it's cute, Mister. I have a beard, and I built this this jungle gym stair thing, and look at me, I'm all strong. Like he's 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 better
0: than Ian. He's also Basilex position, So, <laughs>
2: <laughs> a second, awesome Powers reference. Would you prefer it, Gary? <laughs> mechanoids.
0: Yeah, I'm. But here's the thing: so he's been there for two years, and he tells us about the mechanoids' history. They're from Earth, they need a code, blah, blah, blah. So he's giving us exposition on who these robots are meant to be, which I think tells me, certainly, I don't know if you guys would agree, but it tells me that maybe they saw the mechanoids as more of a long-term prospect than Steven. Once again, they keep going
3: for that Daleks 2 kind of success, and it never seems
0: to happen. No. Incidentally, I mean, I mentioned Hey Big Finish, but if you, uh, I mean, they've really fanwanked this. So they eventually come back and yes, they were originally invented on Earth, but, uh, you know, Davros eventually found them and modified them and all that kind of crap. So, eh.
2: I did like the original, uh, mechanoid, uh, backstory though. It kind of was like a, like an altered version of a wally or something. Instead of like cleaning up Earth, they are sent to like clean up another planet and prepare it for human colonization
3: yeah i also like the like the model shots they had of them going through the city i mean they're obviously model shots but
0: it, <laughs> it was cool and and then you get i mean the way the daleks talk about them they're clearly being set up as daleks biggest rivals to date i know i'm kind of reminded of Zack snyder's dc universe where rather than actually build credible characters and bring them together like marvel did Zach and I was like, "Hey, let me just throw these superheroes together and hope it oh, works." Oh, I thought you meant
3: because wow. at the end, all there was all just a big garbage fire
0: of everything burning. Well, <laughs> also that too.
1: There's that.
0: Yeah, I mean this this episode is a huge dumpster fire. Oh, don't get me wrong; it's a dumpster <laughs> fire, but I adore it. <laughs> I think it's magnificent.
1: I found it interesting. um the way that they showed the city burning like with, with the, the like super in-
2: well
1: yeah and it was like superimposed on top of like the building until it got to a certain point and then they could use stock footage for actual smoke
0: yeah.
1: of something bit, on fire so.
0: There. so much as i've been ragging on richard martin this entire episode so far i think the dalek mechanoid battle is his finest hour <laughs> i genuinely do like it starts out with them approaching each other they start shooting the du- the mechanoids have these wonderful flame guns and as it goes on it gets more and more confusing you get stuff superimposed over each other you get these cartoon <laughs> effects you get the smoke it gets more and more confusing until just bam i actually think it's done really well But you also get your stupid dalek yelling am exterminated <sighs> am exterminated <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I thought that was hilarious. Also, um, Barbara nearly falls off the roof, thanks to Stephen. That's that's P-H-T-E-V-E-N.
1: Because Barbara had been carrying Hi-Fi around, and then all of a sudden they realized that Hi-Fi was no longer there. He needed his mascot. To be fair, this guy has been... Oh, by himself for two years, and I'm pretty sure he probably talked to Hi-Fi a lot, so it's kind of like the Wilson from
0: Castaway.
3: He's probably got some issues that I'm sure will never be touched on again, but
0: I'm sure he's got some issues. So, can we talk about the the real meat of the episode? No. <gasps> I don't want to think about it. <laughs> oh. I know. Yeah, let's do it. In the whole discussion about going home, I really enjoy how ian kind of defers to barbara through it like i just think it's Mm -hmm. really sweet like he wants to but he also recognizes it's not entirely his decision she's definitely wearing the trousers
1: well we've known that about barbara this entire time true what i'm trying to think of though is that so at the beginning when Ian and Barbara first joined, they talk quite a bit about trying to get back and that's what the doctor's trying to do, especially in the first season. In the second season, it doesn't seem quite as much of that. Where where they're like actively trying to get back. Um, and you know, we had a couple of those scenes, like, you know, there was the one in the Romans where they're just like chillaxing for like a month or so, you know, just yeah. drinking wine, having sex. And, you know, we got it again <laughs> at the beginning of this and it just seemed I don't know, it seemed out of character for them to all of a sudden be like, and hey, we're gonna go home!
0: See, I saw it as, as different. Like, I, I felt like they'd kind of accepted this season that the Doctor couldn't really get them home unless they landed there by mistake. Whereas now they have an opportunity with something that's that maybe they can actually steer and get home with. While they've been perfectly content just to enjoy the ride, now there's actually that real option to get home. So, we have that goodbye and the doctor is more upset about saying goodbye to Ian and Barbara than he was about Susan. Yep. Yep.
1: Uh yeah.
2: Absolutely. It just seems like I don't recall Hartnell ever showing that much like emotion before, like a like real like sadness in the character and kind of wondering if Hartnell is kind of thinking like that's that's the last of, you know, my people that were with me at the
0: very beginning of this. And now I'm all alone. I think it was. I mean, it was around this time that he knew that Verity would be leaving. John Wiles, Verity's success was already starting to show up and wind Hartnell up the wrong way. He wasn't taking the fact that, that Jacqueline Hill and uh, William Russell were leaving very well. So, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some genuine emotion from Hartnell in this.
3: And I think from a character's perspective, when you had Susan leaving, he sort of pushed her out. She had she had to yep. do that <laughs> yeah. to grow up. And here <laughs> Tara's friends and they left him. I mean, this does happen a lot over the next 50 plus
0: years, but this is really the first time that's happened. And I think, Don, to your point, you know, these are the first friends he's had. We're seeing characters that have really grown together through the space of just under two seasons. I think over this time, we've seen growth that we don't ever really see, at least not until the revival in 2005 and onwards. So, yeah, I I agree with you. That said, we do actually get my favorite Hartnell blunder, which is where he's freaking out at them. About their plan to go home, and he says that there'll be a couple of cinders flying around in Spain, <laughs> uh, space, <laughs> which magnificent. Thanks, Billy.
1: And then, yeah, I was a big fan of those engagement photos, as I like to call them.
0: Fun little fact about those: they were not filmed by Richard Martin. They were filmed as part of the next story, where Dougie Canfield, director, they were recorded a, a, a few weeks later than the rest of the story. I think they're really, really well done. Very, very sweet. With that, we say goodbye to who I think of as the original companions. I, I don't really count Susan because, I mean, she was already there. So they were the original audience identification characters. They're the ones that got us our original entry into the TARDIS when we started this journey two seasons ago. I'm going to say, I mean, Barbara's just been glorious. In rewatching all of this, she's been the revelation for me. I
2: mean, she's she's been wonderful, and Ian has always been... I, Ian was, you know, is actually a, a type of um, male character that was very common for I, I It seemed more common in the 60s and 70s, and maybe a little bit into the 80s than you have now. And that he can be, like, rough and tough and get into a fight. But also, he's not at all... Put off or like embarrassed about acting the fool and being silly. Mm-hmm,
3: I agree.
0: Yeah,
2: you know he's been enjoyable, and you know I've always enjoyed him being put in ridiculous costumes. You
0: know, and that's one of the things I'll miss about him. I think that's a good summary. I feel very similar.
1: There's there's not much else. It's that, just that you know Barbara's a badass, and Ian was adorably incompetent a lot of the times, but he had his moments, and he got to fight some, and that was fun. And I'm just gonna say the uh, the headdress that he wore. And the Aztecs was probably my favorite.
3: (laughs) I'm going to miss them both Uh, very much. I liked Ian's ability to be silly. I liked that he would call the doctor out when he could tell that he was BSing. At the same time, I'm glad they got a happy ending.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Not all companions do.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Particularly now. At this stage, I don't think it's a spoiler to anyone that Steven becomes the new companion, but we don't actually see him entering the TARDIS.
1: Like, I'm just sitting here and at the very end, I'm like, but but, Stephen.
0: He'll be back next time round and I'll, I'll talk a little about Peter Purvis next time. So we'll get our proper introduction to him then. So with that, that brings us to the end of our discussion on The Chase. Let's do our metrics. For the final time, the Ian Murder Count. Uh, uh, a little bit of a, a disclaimer in that I will do the final two-season Ian Murder Count Next episode, when we do our season wrap-up. Unless I missed it, I don't think Ian was responsible for killing anyone in this story. Again, the Barbara murder count. Also, zero. Camp count. Gonna go with zero here and and be conservative. Vicky pet name, zero. With that, we move into our scores. Uh, Riley, it's you who gets to have the privilege of scoring this one first. So over to you.
2: It's a 6 episode serial. Usually that would mean a lot of filler, and yes there was filler, but the filler that we got was <laughs> uh interesting to say the least, uh not necessarily strong in a narrative way or hitting the right beats, but that's the the benefit of this. This was kind of like a throw everything at the wall, smorgasbord kind of thing. If you didn't like what you just had, don't worry about it cuz wait 30 minutes, you'll we'll be in a completely different place, but a completely different kind of, you know, tone and story and everything else. So, it's 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 fascinating how it just jumps around, and that's I think a strong point. And of course, we all enjoy our journey into terror episode, fourth episode, that is the high point. For a 6 episode serial, it moves pretty quick. It's a decent concept, could have been done better, uh, there's some weak points, but there's never a point where you feel like it's dull. You're kind of either enjo- it's you're either enjoying it for its craziness or how ridiculous it is, as in the Alabama guy skit that was not good. So I would say, um, especially I would have given it like maybe like a a seven, maybe a seven and a half. But I really enjoyed. I mean, if you're a Doctor Who fan, you have to see. The end of Barbarian, and, and you have to see how the doctor reacts to that. It's that is like I think iconic if you're a fan of the series. So I will give it eight dumb Daleks out of 10. All
0: right, so I'm up next from my perspective, and I apologize to my, to my friends back home for the way I'm going to phrase this, which will be overly American. This story is trash. <laughs> this story is utter trash, and yet I love it so much. I don't know if that's childhood nostalgia, whether it's just so ridiculous it's hard not to love, but I think it's fantastic. Everything about it from the comedy beats in those first episodes with the, if you'll pardon my pun, the wet fish aliens, through to the campy chase through time, through to the big battle at the end. And then we have the heartfelt goodbye to Ian and Barbara with the, as Julie put it, the engagement photos, this story is not well-written, it's not well-directed, but it's wonderful. So from my perspective, for me, this story gets eight rings in the sand out of ten. Yeah.
3: Don, over to you. I am on record as saying that Terry Nation is probably my favorite hack, and this story has done nothing to disabuse me of that <laughs> notion. <laughs> As Anthony said, it's trash. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, it, it, even in the aspect of a time travel chase. Certain parts of it are completely ridiculous and could have been cut down to a few moments rather than being an entire episode on their own. And none of that matters one little bit. There was no point. Where I was bored, I was frequently having to pause it, I was laughing so hard, because the entire thing is, to use a Americanism I don't really use very much, it's a hoot. <laughs> it's fun, it's silly, <laughs> and it's incredible. I'm giving it 9 Frankenstein's Monsters Throwing Daleks out of 10. Ooh. Wow.
0: Ooh. Alright, Julie. Over to you.
1: Boy. Oh, boy. Well, the problem is, first off, Anthony, is that you stole my line because I was going to call it trash. Well, I guess I was going to say it was garbage. So. Hey, that's a
0: different word. <laughs> we, we, we're big on synonyms here.
1: <laughs> you can like the dollar. It was
2: rubbish. It's more British. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. That's a good one. So, this was rubbish. It made absolutely no sense. Starting from the very beginning and they chose not original places to go in history to watch through their TV. Poor guy from Alabama and the poor people of the Mary Celeste. Rest in peace. I'm sorry guys. It's all over the place. What drags it down the most is the second episode. If it weren't for that second episode, I would agree with you that it never slowed down, but those uh, couple hours where they were waiting for the sun to get at noontime for the Daleks to come collect the crew, I I would agree. So I am going to give it 7.5 high fives out of 10.
0: Well, that uh, of the four of us, that gives it an average rating of 8.13, so really good. Yeah. That is just about all we have time for in this episode. We will be back next time to discuss The Time Meddler. In the meantime, our previous episodes are all available on the podcasting app of your choice if you haven't listened to them before. You can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Watches4D. And now you can actually email us, should you so desire, at watches4d at gmail.com. You can tell us how right we are, how wrong we are. We welcome your feedback. But for now, thank you very much for listening, and have a good one. You have been listening to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. Don Smith, Julie Philippak, Riley Shrek, and myself, Anthony Williams. This episode, with apologies to Alabama, was recorded on Wednesday, the 24th of July 2019. And always remember never let your lucky mascot out of your sight, even if it means going back into a war zone where two sets of pepper pots are fighting.